Hoofippers. I'm Jen. And I'm Carrie. And welcome to Warhammer 40k Book Club, where we read from a crag. This is episode number 56, and our book is Storm of Iron by Graham McNeil. The book is about Hanso of Ultramarines fame and his Shakespearean and magnitude rise to Warsmith that we all know and love from the Ultramarine series. We do. We've hosted several questions on our website, wh40kbookclub.com, and we encourage participation in our conversations via Twitter, YouTube, our site, or Encrypted Vox channel. Spoiler warning. If you haven't yet read this book, you should. Go to the site, check out the book and the questions, and then come back to this episode as we're going to be talking about it in great detail from start to finish. I mean, it's that, almost 20 years old. It is. Um, I was actually just saying that before this, I knew that this one had come out around 2008, which it did. Um, originally published in 2002, which is why it got such a shiny. I'm so excited, you guys. And be sure, be sure to listen, by the way, because we do have a surprise for this episode, too. But, as always, did you like the book? Yeah. Not as much as you. But it was okay. So I went into this book super nervous because, you know, when you read a book or you watch a movie and then like time goes back and you go back to it and you're like, oh, this is not nearly as good as I thought it was. I was actually a little nervous because there's been so much really good stuff that we've read lately too that I was like, oh, what if this is going to feel dated and kind of lame? It didn't feel dated. It just kind of hammered home that the Iron Warriors are not my thing. I love them. I know you do. And that worries me about you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's fair. I I, will also say I could have made a drinking game out of how many times the word bitter came up. They are very bitter and the Imperial Fists are the reason. And it's just know. funny that and they don't care. They point out themselves how bitter they are. They are. It's really funny because, like, I generally consider myself to be a pretty affable, happy person. So the fact that I really like like the dark, angry, bitter legions because there's there's no happiness or joy with the night lords either. Let's be clear. Um, probably says something about me, like on a personal level, but. This book made me an Iron Warriors fan, and uh, oh really? I thought it was uh, point. Exterminatus. Oh, I read Angel Exterminatus way after this. Oh, that okay. That one just drove home the love when mm-hmm. I read that book. I was like, I really do love Peter Turbo. Um, I this book reminded me that Graham McNeil really is the master of Boulder Horn. He does it right without it being lame or gratuitous he just does like you can hear the Wilhelm scream in this book at least two or three times as you're reading right and it's just non-stop action and it's all fun action and he doesn't go too into the minutiae but he doesn't like and then the titans fought and one died anyways like he does a really good job of it I I love this book I try not to fangirl out everywhere no go go right on ahead it stood out to you i know the biggest part that stood out to you with my boy forex 
Okay, that was just nasty. Oh my god. Okay. And I was reading it right before I was starting to cook dinner. I was like, oh my god, I don't think I can eat. So I'm talking about this scene with Forks and the tunnels when I think it was the Imperial Fist decided to just dump a bunch of waste in there. Oh my god. And I was actually okay with it until his helmet came off and he fell down. Okay. Oh. <laughs> you guys, I blacked that scene out of my memory of this book. Because as I was going through reading it, I was like, oh, I forgot, I remember this, and I remember this, and I remember this, and then I got to that, and I was like, oh god, I totally forgot it. Because I was reading through it, I remembered him in the tunnels, and I kind of remember flushing the waste system, right? So when you said that you were about to gag, I was like, this is no different than the Lords of Silence, come on. And then I had to, like, yeah, then I was like, oh, oh, right, his helmet comes off. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. It's so disgusting that I did it again, because you were like, oh, I'm grossed out. Scene wasn't that bad. Oh, wait, no. That's so disgusting. It is, yeah. it is so disgusting. And it's like, it's not just the fact that it's waste. It's the fact that there's all those chemicals and the processing stuff. And it just, if you've ever been like at a concert and you had to, in the middle of summer and you had to use one of the outhouses, that's all I could think of. Just, <sighs> no. I mean, not only did he fall, I can't even say it, I'm going to throw up, so. He falls face first into the waist, and actually, and do you know what? Breathes it, it in and, and it coughs it out. What? <laughs> Oddly, because this is the way that my mind works, that's not even the part that bothers me. It's when he has the openings in his armor, and he has those wounds, and he talks about it getting into his wounds, and I'm like... <gasps> That's going to be an infection. Because <laughs> I can't even handle the mouth. I cannot even handle the respiratory system. So I have to go to the next thing that you could fix. That's all I could think. Because I was like, oh, it's going to have like 11 billion infections. So I couldn't get over the nose and mouth. And then we talked about the eyes. Oh, my God. Ah! So I talked about the the wounds, like, I kind of, like, glossed right over that because I was too busy trying not to dry, dry heave all over my book. Totally fair. Yeah. I so, other that. than that, I think probably what stood out the most to me was the, um, the Titans fighting. Um, both uh, the beginning when the precepts princeps started with an F basically mm -hmm. you know no this is it he's going to die and he just does one last final like headbutt kind of like a hockey check just right into him mm -hmm. to knock it out and then how at the end the warhounds got their revenge or that one that one last titan got its revenge against it so that was, I loved, I, I like that. And I generally don't really care about, care for the Titans that much. Mm -hmm. um, oh, I'll tell you what else really stood out to me. It just hammered home how much I don't like the Mechanicus. Fuck them and their little secrets. The fact that they really virus hard. bombed the planet for their own devices because, you know, the flesh is weak. Okay, screw you guys. So I was actually laughing really hard about that 
because so again like some of the little details i had forgotten like i remembered that paturabo had built the fortress and i remembered that i remembered like i remembered all that was in the fortress and all of that kind of stuff but i forgot about the virus man bombing the planet for it forgot about the pills until um hawk is talking about how he's like i actually kind of feel better now i was like oh my god i forgot about him but I was joking with my husband because I feel like I'm constantly trying to convince you that the Adeptus Mechanicus, they're actually not that bad. Like, you just got to give them a chance. Like, yeah, Call's a little crazy. And yeah, this stuff's a little weird. And then I was reading this book and I just started laughing. I told my husband, I was like, oh, Carrie's going to hate the Mechanicus forever. <laughs> We're yeah. going to talk a lot more about that later because there's a lot going on with the Mechanicus in this book. Yeah. But I'm I particularly laughed about that because I was like oh she's never going to trust the mechanics so uh, one thing also we'll say about uh, you know you say about Perturbo building the citadel I knew he did before they said it because they described the building it out of onyx because in Magnus's Primark book Perturbo talks about building an, a um, his future citadel like he likes building the citadels out of onyx because of how hard it is to siege them and yeah about and how i think that's what his retirement palace was going to be you know looking, right. at, looking at his father's mountain so as soon as they talked about the sloping walls the steel the black steel looking glass of onyx i was like perturbo built this which is kind of cool though right because this book oddly and these are some of the parts that really stand out to me when i read this book is this book oddly deals with like the perversion of history that the imperium has right so like oh god because i wrote down his name when he's talking about the story of yastabal the hero but he's like yeah the guy was arrogant and awful but he's still like lauded as this hero or like the fact that the adept that peter turbo this is this is a fortress that the adeptus mechanicus uses that was built by a traitor Primarch. Nobody really knows that, except maybe the master of the Citadel, right? And a couple of other chaosy creatures, but they have no idea where they're standing, or the fact that they have no idea what they're guarding, and just all of this they stuff. They believe that the it. planet is toxic. They don't know that, oh, the Mechanicus virus bombed the shit out of it. And by the way, they're giving you these detox pills so that you don't live long enough to tell anybody about this place. Right. Like, it, it's somewhat incredible, right? Again, just this, the way that they continue to pervert the truth and their history and all of the stuff that they just, most of them don't know because it's not important for them to know, right? It's one thing I did like about when um, the Imperial Fist Captain Ashara, Ishara Ishara, was talking to everybody and he was giving everybody like the overview of the iron warriors history which right then i'm just like are you gonna have to kill everybody now because they're not supposed to know any of this but i guess it doesn't matter they all died anyway except for hawk um but uh but you know he was talking about he said there's a lot of history that's been lost and there's a lot people have been deemed not worthy to know i thought that was so interesting it's like you know that's one thing i do like about the imperial fists is that yeah i know that's what alfair he said he couldn't trust dorn because the guy can never tell a lie mm -hmm. the imperial fists are just so honest and they don't care like they are probably some right. of the first that would tell the inquisition i don't care i'm not lying yeah 
on your behalf. And Dorn was very much like that during the heresy. Like when he found out about the assassination plot, he was livid. And he was Mm -hmm. ready to go tell the emperor. I mean, please, the emperor already knew. But, you know, he was very pissed about it. And I will say that the Imperial Fists, like as much as the, you know, the High Lords of Terra and everything, don't like their presence there because, you know, because it's the Adeptus Astartes and you guys caused this anyway. Same time, they're not going to go up against them. Nope. And they... I actually also have to say one of the other things that I forgot about this book is that the Imperial Fist characters are actually very likable. Man, just saying this made me like the Imperial Fists. Like, oh, very lot. much so. Ashara, he's not Corwin. overly personable. Yeah. But he is personable and he recognizes. I like when they're in the board, when they're in the um, situation room. And they're sitting there talking and everybody like has their own little tribes, right? Because they don't trust each other and they it, we understand why, obviously. But when he's like, you guys need to cut this out. This is not going to work. Like, and he doesn't like yell at them. He's just very like, all right, now I have to teach you and remind you. Takes everybody's it, precious canes. <laughs> but it was a very human moment from him. He didn't just be like, look, everybody work together now, which would have totally been like his, like he could have done that but no right. he's, but you I know need these people to work just from what i've learned about dorn from the heresy that that seems like something dorn would do but make it a teaching moment because i will say like of all the primarchs i would really say it's gulliman and dorn who are the most personable to you know the lesser humans you know right. very willing to you know listen to what they had to say and mm-hmm. talk with them and you know teach them without uh berating them very much except for when it came to the you know officio assassinorum the dorn had no problem berating them and telling them exactly what he thought of them but but yeah so i do like one thing i have liked in getting to know some of the primarchs especially during the heresy is that it's just it's so interesting to me and it makes sense but i like that we have dorn and Gulliman, both on the loyalists, the two person, the most personable ones, because typically what you're seeing in the heresy is that you're seeing like direct um, opposition. So like take, for example, uh, the Raven Guard and the Night Lords, you know, mm-hmm. they're both they're both super sneaky, super stealthy. One's crazy, one's less crazy. So it would make sense that there would be like, you know, because Horus was so charismatic, it would make sense to have either Gulliman or Dorne be on the other side. But it's fast. But to me, I find it interesting that they still chose for because either one of them could have made good traitor Marines, and that they're both so charismatic and so personable. I mean, Dorne and Gulliman, either one, if they're on the side of chaos, could convince people to this is the thing to do, right? Right, <laughs> makes sense to us. So I, I've just kind of found that very interesting. Right. That personal so two cents. The bad guys win in this book. This makes this the second book where chaos oh, yeah, yeah. triumphs over. I knew they would. You, well, of course. But do you like the Iron Warriors as a legion? Eh. They're... They're so bitter. <laughs> just, 
And, and I like how schemey they are too, though. Like when Forex in the beginning, when he's like, "Ooh, the sorcerer just got a look. I'm gonna figure out what that look was about, and I'm gonna keep that for later because that'll be beneficial." Like they're very schemey, and it's so they um, they're very grudging uh, Legion, which kind of like it's like oh my god Elsa let it go already um you know just with just you know between Dorne and Perturbo I mean yes did the Emperor cause some of that uh, yeah but that's just kind of what the Emperor do <laughs> for sure but the fact that I mean it's been 10,000 years and they can't let it go and about halfway through them, just when they kept bashing, you know, Hanso for having the Imperial Fist Gene Seed, I'm just like, motherfuckers, if you guys didn't want this, then why'd you do it in the first place? Because they were desperate. That's not his... replenish those ranks, yo! It's not his fault. No reason, like, you know, to hate him for it. You know, it's like the, you know, the kid that's born ginger. It's like, oh no, it's a soulless baby. Not the kid's fault not a giant soulless baby you know I guess if they did have a baby it would be a ginger because they are soulless probably yeah Yeah, I just kind of imagine all the sisters are gingers but I well so and I guess you could you could say like it's both of them right because the imperial fists I mean they're like here's the entire history of the iron warriors and like that guy didn't strike me as being a scholar per se so like oh, I'm sure like, that the tales of the iron cage have been passed down for oh I have no doubt for eons which you know that was a stupid little gambit of perturbos and you know and then what happened neither one of them won I guess perturbo could have won because I mean if it wasn't for Robbie Bobby <laughs> right they could have just got to each other to extinction um but going back to what some of you said it is actually very Iron Warriors to me because they're very mercurial or at least Peter Turbo is super super mercurial right and that's one of the reasons that I love him but it strikes me as the type of thing they would do where they're like okay we need more guys just put the Imperial Fist gene scene in him it'll be fine I don't like him you know like I could absolutely see it being like this thing we need to do the thing we don't like them we don't want them though because we're still very bitter like it, d- it strikes me as that type of mercurial we want the thing but we also don't want the thing if anything like I would find it funny that it's like oh yeah your iron your your imperial fists right here in this guy our champion like I would think that it would be more of like a point of pride of like look what we did but oh no not the iron warriors but they are very bitter they really are dirt and entitlement. They are dirt and entitlement. But I do love one of the things that I really love about this book is that because typically when we see in the 41st millennium, especially when we see the traitor primer or the traitor legions, they're kind of shadows of their former selves, right? Like mm-hmm. the world eaters are just mindless berserkers usually, right? The uh, thousand sons are just unbridled sorcery and warp nonsense. These guys definitely have some chaos going on in them, but just like watching how like methodical they still are about war and moving the trenches and digging the mines and the saps and just everything still works at not as optimal, but pretty much at pre-heresy, right? Yes, like, yes. This is what we do. Yeah, I mean, I, 
Yeah, I mean, it, it really did put, like, you know, nobody does siegecraft the way that these guys do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I liked s- some of that. And so I found it you know, interesting when Kroger, uh, you know, was leaning too close to the side of corn. He's instantly, like, he's shunned by a lot of people. They don't like him. They don't trust him. Um, mm-hmm. And even though, like, their warsmith is, like, approaching, you know, demonhood, you can tell that Hanso's like, hey still not cool with the chaos thing like I don't like them but I'm not totally cool with chaos and I know that um, Iron Wars are supposed to be chaos undivided but I also think that they're almost kind of like the uh, night lords in a way that's like oh yeah it's here but really don't want to use it like we don't want to like revel in chaos well it's kind of like that Alpha Legion book, uh, Shroud of Night, right. right? Where, like, they're utilizing demons, they're utilizing some chaos stuff, but the one guy is like, we should just embrace the powers, and Harrow's like, no. We do not embrace the powers, we just utilize it as a tool. But mm-hmm. we don't actually worship it. Which is which something that Iskander also pointed out. Mm-hmm. He's like, the warp is a tool. You don't trust right. it, and you don't worship it. Right, and we'll talk more about that for sure, because there's some interesting things going on in this book, too, in those terms. But let's talk about Hanzo. How did you feel about him as a protagonist? I mean, you know, he's the underdog everyone looks down on, so, you know, and I knew this was going to be the book where he, uh, where he ascends to being a warsmith, so, man, I don't know, just... I really like about it because I think I've mentioned before that like one of my favorite horror movies well not my favorite it's in the top 10 though is a movie called Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer because it's a really good example of a really unlikable protagonist like Henry does not get a lump of sugar at all there's nothing to like about Henry I guess depending on how you argue it there might be mildly but he immediately shits on it so it's okay But there's nothing likable about Hanso. Hanso is not a good guy. He doesn't have this lump of sugar. It's not like even like Fabulous Bill, where he's like, look at all these evil things I do, but I do care about something in my life. No, no, he's a true son of Perturbo and that he is just cold through and through. There is nothing And maybe that's why I don't like him because they're just cold and cold and calculating. And and in my mind, that makes them kind of flat, boring characters. See, I love it. And I love how, I like how ambitious he is, but I like, so a good scene in this book that I've always liked is when the demon passes through him and he has that moment of like unlimited power and he wants it, but he's also like, that's how you do it. Tiny living space. Right. Exactly. But he also recognizes that, mm, no, I don't want that because that is not a good path to go down. Mm-hmm. Right. So I liked because he really emphasizes quality. It really emphasizes like how much he can't stand being in the Warsmith's company. Like he can't look at him. It makes him sick being around him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they all kind of do where they're just like, ugh, the nausea, and they actually kind of feel that like primordial fear of him because of the stuff that's in his armor, the souls and stuff, right. like the worst death is so fun. But 
I do, I like that it is a story, and I like that Graham McNeil does not attempt to try to make you like him by giving him something nice. Like, oh, sure, he's a jerk, but he did save those children. <laughs> no. No, yeah. everything he did was for himself. Mm -hmm. The betterment of himself. Like, when he sees that Forks is in trouble, <clears throat> idiot. Kind of lets it Pretty happen. Much, yeah. right? Where he's like, and like with Kroger, where he's kind of like, something's not right here. I don't really care. Not enough to try to help, anyway. No, not enough to find just out. Just enough or... to just like, I'm just going to walk away from you, and that'll be that. Right. And I just, I, I really like stories like that. So I really like that he does that in this book. There's just, there's nothing really redeemable about him, which makes him such a wonderful villain, especially when you later, when you compare him to Uriel Ventress, right? I mean, in so many ways, he really is the anti-Ventress. Yeah, he, he is. But the... It's like Uriel with the mustache. But you know, the <laughs> with the goatee, uh, the story, exactly. <laughs> the, the story that I think of, like, when I really liked Hanso, and I wish I should have pulled this up before tonight, but I've been a little crazy. There's a short story about him that I had read after reading the Year of Interest books and I don't remember what it was called but this is the way that Hanzo was presenting himself it was almost, I can't remember exactly what was going on but I want to say like they were buying slaves somewhere at some, I don't exactly remember but there, everyone was taunting him and he was pretending to like be taking what they are saying seriously and he was playing them for all that they were worth so I kind of liked I liked, I enjoyed that side of him, this this conniving side. And I know that happens, I think he's more able to do that when he's Warsmith, not when he right. he is where he is now. And maybe that's why, like, I didn't, like, yes, I enjoyed the story. It was a really good story, but I didn't really care for Hanso that much after reading this. Like, I don't feel like I really, I feel like I got to know him better in the Uriel Ventress books than I did here. will say because this book is so boulder porn forward it um with an after hint of character development describing it like it's coffee now um it you don't really get a strong there's not a lot of character development here so you really get a good grasp for who hanso is but he's also younger feeling in mm -hmm. this as you said because he hasn't ascended to warsmith and i do like this conversation between him and forex when he when he's like when forex is like you lead a grand company. And he's like, well, yeah, but it's only because he hasn't found another successor. Really? Yeah, you less think in 200 years. Time, <laughs> right? Like, he kind of has to educate him there and be like, seriously? I loved that. Because there is... There's a slight insecurity to Hanzo, which I do like. It, it doesn't necessarily make him more human, but kind of does, too. Again, you know also insecure well, I think all of the Iron Warriors are insecure I think that's a defining character trait is their insecurity Forex wasn't insecure he was just bored Forex was insecure if he bored AF if he wasn't insecure he wouldn't have been like I think I'm going to go into battle well he fire again they ignited his passion for killing things again i do because it, he was noticing the warsmith is favoring a half breed oh well, yeah kind of but he saw the titans and was like oh oh my god 
I, yeah, I just really, and that's another thing that we saw in, um, in that second Donna Fire book. There's another Iron Warrior that's tired of this. Like, this is just lame and boring. Like, you can only kill so many people for so many years before it gets old. Oh, the one that was waiting for when the long war was going to be over? Are you Mm -hmm. planning his retirement package? Yeah, oh, bless their hearts. I was like, yeah, you know who else had a retirement package? Your dad. (laughs) Too soon. Oh, okay. (laughs) So, So, let's switch over to the good guys for a minute. First off, were you invested in Hawk's redemption arc? Like, what did you think of Hawk? I actually was invested in his redemption. Because um, I totally thought he was dead. Totally thought. I was like, I well, think we all did. I was like, ah, oh, well, you know, that was fun. You know, it was kind of an interesting glimpse into, like, you know, some of the Imperial Guard who are just not all, you know, rawr, go home, so happy we're where I'm stationed. This guy was pissed where he was. He was angry yeah. about it. And I had to, you know, imagine that a lot, I mean, because that's real. There's so many guys in the military now who don't like where they're stationed. Of course. You know, and so they'll do things like what he did to his friends, you know, made them go out there. They're like, yeah, heat up some caffeine. Yeah, I will. I'm drinking less of it right now. You know, uh, stuff like that happens. And so not only, so, and you write him off, right? Because he's, he's a loser. He gets trouble for showing up to work drunk and and all that but then when a real war happens you see who he really is so kind of you know like you're saying with forex he was just bored (laughs) he needed a a purpose and sitting on a wall was not his purpose right actually when you say it like that he actually was a very good foil to forex right and on the good guy's side because yeah he's just and that's I like stories like that and characters like that because it does remind you that even though like it's the grim dark future, you're one of untold billions, blah, 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 blah. People are still people mm-hmm. like, and people are people. Right. So as you said, he's, he's got a little bit of that rebellious streak in him because he's bored. This is beneath him. He signed up for the guard to go like kill stuff and have excitement and not this. And he's and, conniving. Oh my God. He is. I mean, I mean he, what he did to survive in that torpedo, like, it was one of those, like, I need to give this guy a slow clap. Right. How he gets out. <laughs> that's, that's just amazing. Right. I mean, it It also, like, when Ashara is like, oh, I can't wait to meet this guy. He must be very brave. And yeah, and Leonid's like, mm. Well, he was like, like, well, he like chuckles and he's like, yeah, if you had mentioned that a month ago, I'd have been like, yeah, I don't think so. I like when he's like, so an unlikely hero. The yeah. unlikeliest. <laughs> and I like that. I yeah. like when you get to see those characters see that. Yeah, as you said, like when push comes to shove and we're now actually at war. Yeah, yep. he's good for it. And he can, I mean, when he, so he's about to set off this giant missile, right? An iron warrior is right there shooting at him. And he still is like, okay, I got to get this thing set off. Like right. I got to remember how to do this. He doesn't run to save his own hide, right? He doesn't start cowering. He's like, okay, I gotta, gotta finish this because I understand mm-hmm. what's at stake. Right. And, and he keeps a cool head. And so, like, when the engines fire, he's like, this is going to be really bad for me here in a minute. <laughs> and yeah. It, but stays calm enough to find the vent. And then stays calm mm-hmm. enough when the Iron Warrior has him by the pant legs. Like, no, where are you going? He's like, I'm going this way. Oh. Where are you going? 
Oh, when he when he saws yeah. the hydraulic cable and he's just like, nope, miss me. Loved that. Absolutely loved it. Because again, it just, yeah, this guy really is. He's not just some lame throwaway prologue character, right? Right. He's, he really is the real deal. And he, I kind of like that he gets off. Yeah, I was actually very sad, like, at the end, when the Mechanicus left, and he was just like, you know, what in the world? And he gets down on his knees after all that, and he's left behind, and he starts weeping, and then he sees the bombs coming down, he's like, oh great, this is how he's gonna die, and then he doesn't get killed by that, and he just lays down, like, just tired, like, this is it. So, yes, I liked it when he was picked up by the Imperial Fists. Like, who are you? But, like, I'm sorry. I'm the one who, like, caused a whole lot of damage to the Iron Warriors. We, we didn't win, but... That's a pyrrhic victory. Definitely, like, the very definition of it. Um, definitely hurt them, though. So, then, was he... Was Hawk a worthy counterpoint to Leonid? Hmm. I mean, yeah. I mean, because Leonid from start to finish was the real deal, right? Yes, he and the original Castellan both. And I even yeah. urge your major Tedeschi. I mean, what a, what Tedeschi did, um, you know, I know that Hawk hated him because he got him assigned to this post or whatever. Tedeschi didn't care that it was some piece of shit world, you know, and he knew what was at stake. And he actually went and fucking charged an iron warrior to save his yeah. men. Yeah. So well, in the original Castellan goes out like a damn badass right. when he sees Hanso and he gives him the full like, "This is who I am. Mm-hmm. We're gonna fight." <laughs> of course, Hanso's like, "Sure, Jan." But yeah, sure. The Castellan gets in some good blows, but Leonid from start to finish is portrayed as this very heroic Imperial Guard character, mm-hmm. and I did like that he kept it as that, right? He starts in one place and he ends in one place. Right. Although the scene, his scene for me that really got me is after Ashara is like, <laughs> you guys need to work together because this is how we're going to win. When he goes back over to the um, the Warhound Titan, the Princeps, and he's like, all right, here's your sword back. And the guy's like, yeah, it looks better on you anyways. I was like, friendship is magic. <laughs> And also heresy. He should have killed Mason. Yes. Yes, he should have. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But, and poor Ashara. Who, alas, Ashara, we did not know you long enough. <laughs> no. Or Corwin. Oh, Corwin. I, I love Corwin. Poor Corwin. Yeah. Yeah, we'll talk a little bit about that one. Because that one's... So, as we've kind of alluded to, this book really highlights some of the divisions between the Adeptus Mechanicus and the Imperial Guard. And even though the Mechanicus and the Imperium, they work together in their BFFs. No. I think it's one of those where I think the Imperium trusts the Mechanicus more than the Mechanicus trusts the Imperium. I think that is 100% And that's a problem. And that's been my... real problem. That's been my biggest beef with Call this entire time. Because I just really... And and it's things I've noticed about the Mechanicus. Like, 
I mean, going back to the hair, I mean, really, Graham McNeil's Adeptus Mechanicum, I liked that book a lot. It, it did show so many facets of the Mechanicus that I really enjoyed. But at the same time, it really highlighted some real bitterness between the Mechanicus and the, and the Emperor. Um, so, and just from the other books that we have read where the Mechanicus have kept these secrets, it happens a lot. They keep these secrets or they don't mention what they happen to be working on. Like, call, yes, I'm going after Catan Shard, but that's not important right now. You know, right now at all. Right. Um, <laughs> cockpit, what's that? It's a little place up front with the pilot said, but that's not important right now. That's not important right now. Um, and that's kind of been my biggest problem with them. And I think even Reboot, he's been seeing it as well. Like when he really pissed off the Mechanicus when he first woke up because they wanted to take apart these Xenos ships and use the technology. And he was like, no, that's forbidden. Well, maybe it is in the Imperial Creed. Like not anymore. But it's not for the Mechanicus because the Mechanicus, I believe, served the Mechanicus. Yes, very much so. And they are, this book reminds me of this because you're right. It does happen a lot. They're very unsteady allies. And I think a big part of it is because, and this is one of those things that I, we, that's also been explored in a lot of stories. I think part of it is that, look, you need technology to work. We speak technology. We are the keepers of it. Like your whole, your whole Imperium runs on what we've got, right? We're the suppliers. But I think there's a lot of secrets kept because at some level, they're kind of just going through the motions and they don't even really understand what they're doing. We've seen that hinted at in a few stories, no, right? And, you know, and that was like really emphasized also in Adeptus Mechanicum, especially when I forget her name, but when she blows up her forge at the end, just to make sure that, you know, that they aren't able, they can't get their, you know, uh, their viral code to go in and take her knowledge. And there was a line in there, I don't remember the exact line, but, it wasn't from her, but it was basically talking about how this was going to set them back tens of thousands of years in technological research. That's heartbreaking. Like, it, it's the line from the intro to every book, right? So much has been lost, never to be regained. Mm -hmm. And you really saw it in, um, what was that Gavthorpe book? Ashes of Prospero, right? Where the guys from the Heresy have all this technology. Oh my god, the Storm Eagles. Yes, and they, when he's like, yeah, well, you don't have these? And they're like, no. Yeah, we have these things called Thunderhawks. Not <laughs> the Storm Eagles, lesser known brother. Yeah. Right. And just all of those things. And it, they drive home that a lot too, like when the Titan dies, right? And they're like, well, that's irreplaceable. Right. Or like when the Gloriana class battleships, right? right? Those are replaceable. Like there's, I think the mechanic is one of the reasons that they do have this very secretive society is that not only do we not want you to know about what we have, we, we don't really want to reveal that we don't really know what we have either. That's part of it. But the fact that they were stockpiling gene seed, that's nothing to do with the mechanicus. That's... That's very much an Astartes thing. And these people have no idea what's there. 
You guys couldn't figure out another way to, to hide this. I mean, why not put it on Terra? No one's going to Terra. I, it, it just made me sick. It's like, this is not even y'all's stuff. But I guess it kind of is because... They, you, yeah, I was going to say, they're the keepers of it. Because you guys hoard things. Like, call. Like, oh, by the way, I have, like, all of the prime... I have all of the original Primark gene seed, including, you know, uh, 2 and 11. Right. You shouldn't have that. Oh, but I do. But you shouldn't. But I do. But but I do. Well, you're not going to use that. But what if I did? You're not going to use that. Anyways, how about the weather? Yeah. Like, yeah, very much so. Can't deal with them. Can't. Can't trust the machines. They're Terminators ready to get us all. I want to argue with you. And I really, like, this book, especially in the confines... In the context of this book, it's really hard. It's really hard to argue with that sentiment because, again, they're, yeah, they got some secrets. And I do, <laughs> the callousness, and this is this is the callousness of the Imperium, too. Like, cause I'm not going to say that the Imperium isn't callous towards oh, yeah, lives, yeah. but especially the Mechanicus, right? But the detox like, pills, I mean, that's just disgusting. And when Leonid's, when he's like, does the math, and he's like, how many other regiments? How many other regiments have you wiped out to keep the secret safe? And here's the best part. None of them know what they're guarding. Like, well, what does this facility guard? Oh, like, Xeno artifacts or something like that? Like, they don't even know. And so even killing people for even a secret Ash they know. Even Ashara's like, mm, I don't think so. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. But that's because Ashara can show up and he has a little bit more context than they all have. And he can like... And he sniffs he can the pills and was like, hold on a minute. <laughs> I love when he's like, yeah, so we can like taste the air and um, there's no toxins on this air. He's like, it like, doesn't smell good. But there's... <laughs> right. Yeah, that whole scene, I was like, oh. I just, no. you know, Leon, Leonid, the poor guy, when he's realizing how everybody has headaches and nausea soon after they arrive. And they just assumed that the pills were staving off from making it worse. Mm-hmm. Well, it's the perfect excuse, the perfect front. It is. Well, air is toxic. The detox pills just kind of help you, right? So if people start dying after like four or five years, well, detox pills can only do so much in this toxic environment so awful Which, but again at the same time that... it makes me wonder it's like if this is such a toxic environment why don't we take what's here and move it right well again because nobody really knows and the lower down the chain you go the less people know like I don't even think, like, I didn't even get the impression before his capture, obviously, that Cicerin knew what they were guarding. Oh, no, no, no. There was no way he knew. No. So, like, again, you are, you're killing people to keep a secret that they didn't even really know about. It, well, what do they say about three people keeping a secret? There is, that is true. That is true. But, and that's the thing, too, about the Imperial Guard that I think really chafed me about this one, is that the Imperial Guard, their lives are short and terrifying, right? So, like, let's say the Jura and Dragoons get off this planet. They're not going home to retire. 
No. We're just going to go to the next battlefront and then the next battlefront until slowly but surely the regiment, right? Like I look at the Gaunt's Ghosts as an example where it starts off as all these people from Tanith. And then it shrinks and they add from new places. It shrinks and then they add from new places, right? Like the life of a guardsman is not very long. You know, so it's almost. They do get off. The guard are kind of like an MLM. <laughs> you keep recruiting people. Yeah. But they keep dropping off, so you have to keep on recruiting more to keep, you know. <laughs> and the only people who profit are the ones at the top of that pyramid in the MLM. Well, and if you survive long enough, you just keep climbing to the top of the pyramid. Exactly. Right? Because, like, and that's, that was one of the things, and I can't remember what story it was. It's a short story, though. And it's in one of the collections, but there is a line about that where they were talking about, like, the orcs how like they pr they they promote like their leaders are the biggest of them and they're talking about like in the guard the people who've been lucky enough to live long enough but right? the like, works is kind of the same thing yeah kind of right kind of we just don't get bigger the older we get after a certain age and but that's yeah like, but we don't get up just out yeah <laughs> <laughs> there's that um but yeah i mean there's that Again, it, it just chafes me because I'm like, what are these people going to get up? You know what it goes back to, too, is. Oh, shoot. It's by ADB. It's the Grey Knights book. The Mons oh. of Shane. Oh, the em goes... Emperor's Gift? Emperor's Gift. These guardsmen survive something horrible and the Inquisition's like, nope, we got to kill them. And it's like, guys, life is going to do that to them. <laughs> like, the life expectancy rate for these guys is not long. If, if some of them survive the next 10 years, then maybe, I guess maybe you could hunt them and kill them. I don't know. That's one thing I did, I did like with some of the Imperial Guardsmen who witnessed Kroger splitting, you know, the reality in half and them walking into it and they start telling stories and Leonid and Ashara are immediately on top of it, like stopping the rumors. And I was like, well, yeah, because Ashara, one, he knows that people can't know about this and two... Um, they need everybody alive, so they can't be killing everybody just yet. <laughs> so let's no. go ahead and stop these rumors before they, you know, spread. And they do have to kill everybody. Right. Very much so. Although, so, would they have had to kill everybody anyway because they saw Iron Warriors? Kind of an uncomfortable conversation to ask. Oh my god, is, is Hawk going to get killed? He gets on the ship and they're going to be like, so what did you see? Well, blah, blah, blah. oh, that's nice. Yeah. Would you uh would you mind looking over there for a minute? <laughs> Bullet to the back of the head. Yeah. Um We'll we'll come back to that conversation. Cause I have questions about that in general. Let us talk about Lorana though. Poor Lorana. Oh my god. I felt so bad for her. Were you surprised by her arc? Yes and no. Um Okay. Okay, so she's a badass. Just for the fact that she had no problem yelling at Kroger. What's the word of a heretic? Right. And then he's like, who said that? And she was, she repeated it when everyone else was like looking the other direction. Oh, yeah. Like, and, and they talk about how everybody moves away from her. And she's yeah. just like. Well, she knows care. her life is forfeit. Oh, yeah. It's just a matter sure. of when. You know, and then he like basically destroys her arm. And she doesn't even cry out. And that's why this. That's why you know it's fiction because you know nobody has that. She kind does of... cry out. 
she cries out, but she's still as defiant as ever. Like, she right, doesn't crumple. She, right. She, she's still like, whatever. Because remember, he pull, he holds her up and he crunches her arm and he's okay. like, what did you say? And she yells, but then she's like, what is the word for a traitor? And he's like, eh, not much. Like, even he admits that, right? But she's still, like, in the face of horrific pain, she's still like, no. Nah, she was still, you. you know, planning. Like, I'm going to kill Very him. Much so. And, you know, when she gets the rifle, the Laz rifle, she's like, yes. And she's like, this is empty. This is a joke. But then she was like, I'm going to beat someone to death with this. You right. know, she was. When she starts thinking about it. Yeah. She's like, all right, I'll just use this. And I, I forgot about like, cause at first I, I remembered the armor. Like I remembered her ascending and all of that kind of stuff, but I forgot how appalled she is when she realizes that her own troops are shelling her, right? It is just another insult to injury, right? Like, not only did you get captured, not only is your arm shattered, you've been given an empty Laz rifle, right? But now you've got, you're getting shelled by your own troops. And, man, I felt so bad for them when they realized it. They're just like, shit! If we had known, we wouldn't have shot at them. Well, yeah. Had you taken maybe, like, the 15 30 seconds to look before you started shooting well you know right heaven forbid but when the so when the demon started talking to her i was like this i, I know exactly how this is going to go because i've seen it so many times just because when you get when you're so in despair at that point you know and you know that you're going to die so you just think like well you know at least this this will help me get my revenge and you know there was that line that always gets me every single time I read it whenever I read about a demon possession you know her scream of horror when she realizes the mistake she just made you know I mean it's yeah that, that's Graham McNeil man I mean he did that in um, the Fulgrim a Horace Heresy book uh, I mean not just him I've read it you know with, with others but you know he's really good at hitting that little point when they realize what they have done that moment of oh no and especially with her because she's feeling so many feels right she has the shame of wanting to live right because she's like i could just kill myself but i want to live like i don't want to die so she has that then she has all this hatred but she has a little bit of shame for that and she's so bitter and she's so angry so yeah when the talking armor is like i'll fix you i'll make it go away Right, and that's how because the, remember he's like the things talking to her about like I want you, you know, we're gonna do great things together. This will be amazing, and she's like, no, no, no. It's when the demon is like, I can fix you and make you stronger. How? Like, that's what gets her right. And classic demons, right? They know where that chink in your armor mm -hmm. is. They know to be like, oh, <laughs> this is what's gonna get her. So, like, when she talks about putting the glove on and she's like, ooh, that's a good feeling, right? Dwelling to the size of the armor. It sounds so painful and kind of disgusting, too. Well, like, even uh, um, the warsmith's apotheosis, I mean, he was screaming in pain. And that's this whole thing to send it off. I was like, yeah, you've ascended now to demonhood, but sounds like you're gone a little zinchy. Very much so, because he also talks about that, right? Yeah. Like the architect and stuff like that. He... Oh, what did he call him? The Great Conspirator. 
I yes. love that. Uh, is an amazing title for him. I kind of felt sorry for Kroger in a bit because he uh, he fell for the classic blunder. <laughs> he trusted. He trusted. He trusted a demon. He trusted chaos, right? Like, oh, I had a great line from Animal House. You fucked up. You trusted us. You trusted us. You trusted chaos. And it's an interesting, this book I especially feel like really deals with the the line you have to walk, right? Of like, you can kind of get into the slaughter, but don't let yourself get too far, mm-hmm. right? Because there is a line there, and when he picks up when Kroger, like I think it's like about the halfway point when he picks up that guy, and he's like has the blood coming down on his face and down his throat and stuff, and he's just like ah, like that right there. I was like, there you go. I remember that the first time I read it. I remember being like, oh yeah, there you go. You're you're done. You have now crossed the line. Right. And oh, chaos is a fickle mistress, isn't it? When the armor is talking to her, and it's like I'm bored of Kroger. Like yeah, because he because he keeps I guess for lack of a better phrase pulling his punches right right because he dedicates himself so far and it's like no 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 I can't go all the way to corn because we're chaos and divided right but he is still you're right he's like still gobbling up that power because they talk about how he basically comes back and he's slaughter drunk because you know when she talks about like how he's gorged himself on blood right and he can't really do anything and he's just kind of there like. He's starting to get into that mindless cycle. Man, she could have taken her bone knife then. I know, right? Just, she didn't even need. Just, right? She didn't even need the demon. Which. But by then it was too late. She oh, had already like, committed. Way too late. The, the second she put that glove on. It actually, was the second she was like, how? <laughs> the second you start talking back. Probably bad. But. How awesome was that with the Avatar of Korn? I mean, I liked seeing him get just, you know, beaten to bloody pulp. Poor Kroger. No, not poor Kroger. He was a terrible, terrible, I can't even say person. He was a terrible being. Being works. Being works. I, talk to me after you read Angel Exterminatus. Oh, dear Christ. You know, I don't want to expect from you since you like the world eaters and... Okay, I know. I know. I... I feel bad. Um, It's not that I... Like, I don't... Like, he's not a good guy. I don't necessarily sympathize, but... Then you told me, like, some of your favorite alien races from Mass Effect are the Patarians and the Vorcha. I mean, do you need help? (sighs) Maybe. Okay. (laughs) I might. I... I don't know like so there was a line in dragon age inquisition that like really resonated with me and it's when you're talking with varick and he talks about how all of his stories have really dark endings where like nobody's happy and he's like i think that might say something about me personally and i was like oh i really like like the dark and miserable guys and this the mindless berserker guys i'm like are you they're so cool are you are you saying that your theme song is weezer's all my favorite songs no (laughs) no but my uh my intro song like if i were a professional wrestler my intro song or a professional athlete of any type and i got to have my own song it would definitely be mr crowley so wow oh yeah that intro organ dun 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 full body 
eggshells. Yeah. Or, yeah. I don't know, something by Nine Inch Nails. I, the industrial period really spoke to me, you guys. Honestly, if I had a theme song, actually this is really true about me, it would be Board Crimes by Weird Al. I, so I actually heard that song, um, Blurred Lines. I actually heard that the other day. I don't remember where we were, but it was playing. And I was like, it took me like a solid probably 20 or 30 seconds of the song to be like, oh, right. That what Word Crimes was a parody. Yeah. Because <laughs> I like that one so much. It's uh, I also like Tacky. That one also kind of uh, speaks to me. Yeah. Anyways. I And Foil. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's a good one, too. The idea of an avatar of corn just kind of being out there in Iron Warrior's clothing makes me very happy. And You're I want to see more of it. With a female-ish voice. Right-ish. Because that is... Oh, I thought I marked the line. Gosh dang it. I thought I marked the line. But when they when Hanso talks about how they found a body... And they oh, kind of right. assumed it was Kroger's. Yeah, and he's like, I guess I'll never find that out. But he was wrong. Uh, let's see. It was a mystery that Hanso guessed he would never know the answer to, though in that, he was very wrong. I want... I want... F- Femme Kroger? So is there not a book or a short story about that? Not yet. Wow. Dude, it's been nearly 20 years, Graham McNeil. What else are you doing with yourself? You know, writing a bunch of Horace Heresy books, working for Riot Games. Okay, first of all, uh, is Riot Games really going to take you anywhere? All right, don't answer that. But... (laughs) Really harsh. Well, I have a thing about esports and their games. But regardless, stop writing Siege of Terra. And maybe write about Kroger. Krogora? Femga? I don't know. Lark. The Rongar. What to say, Lorgar? <laughs> no. No. So, speaking of that, we do already know what happens next in Hanzo's story, right? Because this takes place just before the third Ultramarines book. No, this. No, this takes place after the sixth book. No. Yeah, because they talk about his failure on Ultramar. No, because yes. that's when he comes back. Yeah, he comes back. That's the sixth book when he goes to Ultramar. Right. Right, but no, this takes place before that. No. Where does it mention his failure on Ultramar? Uh, let's see. Um, the prologue. Part, yeah, Half-Breed Part 1 of the Dodecathon. When he's talking to Perturbo. That. Right there. Because um, he's talking to, to uh, Dasadra. He's like, if you never would have waited. It's like, spare me the tired old half-breed nonsense, said Hanzo. If that's all it was, you never would have waited for me on the corpse road. A portion of his skull was encased in burnished iron where an ultramarine's bolter shell had clipped him. Wait. Where is that? It's in the prologue. Where he talks talks to Perturbo and they're playing a game together. That's not the prologue to this book. Yeah, it is. 
looking at it. Special edition? Must first. That's the special edition then. Okay, well. Oh shoot! I read the old one because he talks yeah, to. Storm of Iron starts on twenty-five. Oh, because yeah, there, there's a prologue and an epilogue, and at the very end, he's still talking to Perturbo, and Perturbo mocks him. Right, but that that's interesting. You use that fact to hurt the Ultramarines, but they used it to draw you into mistakes that cost you ultimate victory. You have owed more than luck. You've owed more to luck than any man ought to be comfortable with, and it failed you during your war on Ultramar. We were never going to win a war on Ultramar, said Hanso. It was all about hurting them. This takes place after the sixth book. That story does for sure, but so, okay. Okay. Interesting. So, I am all right, so internally. What this is, early. he is talking to Perturbo. They're playing a yeah. strategy game. And uh, uh, let's see. So we are going to talk and play a game, you and I. And if I do not like what I learn at its end, you will die. And if you do, all in good time, Warsmith. Begin by telling me of Hydra Cordatus, said Perturbo. So, yes, the siege takes place way before all that way before all that mm -hmm. but the book itself is a flashback after the sixth book of right Adventures. okay so i picked this book up today because i had the original og copy of it so i am fangirling out and after this podcast i'm going to read both of the short stories in here because this is terribly exciting to me because i was actually just about to reference that at the end of the iron warriors omnibus the complete hanso chronicles he ends it by saying, I'm going to talk to Perturbo. Well, this book takes place before the third book. Well, okay. The story might. The story yes. might. But now, officially, this takes place after the sixth book, where he talks to Perturbo, and they play a game, and he tells them the story about Hydrocordatus. I'm internally screaming inside. He just retconned your own book. That's amazing. Well, no, because the Hydrocordatus still takes place before the third book. Yeah, the story itself did, but now he's made this book take place after Uriel Ventress. Interesting. Which is why, like, so one of your questions that you had on here, you said, we know what happens next in Hansa's story. It's like, no, we don't. Oh, dear. All right. Well, that gets me very excited. I have to go and read that now. Now I feel terrible because... So my Games Workshop store is open Wednesday through Sunday. I was out of town this weekend so when it came in on Friday. So I was out of town. I just was able to pick it up today and I actually had to get out of work to go and do the thing. Um, dang it, now I feel like a horrible fan. Cause I just got it and I like wasn't even gonna open it cause it's so nice. And I know that I can't be trusted with books. Can you tell that I've read this three times over the years now? Um, I feel like I got to educate you on something. <laughs> you did. Well, I legit. So I have to say that when I bought the, when I bought the Hanzo Omnibus, I just kind of said it, like I breezed through it really quickly. and was like, yep, I've read it, read it, read it, read it, read it. I was like, okay, I've read all of these stories. And then when I was rearranging my office in here one day, 
the book dropped and there was a line at the bottom at the back of the book that I was like I don't recognize that at all sure enough there was an extra story on there with him escaping and being like I'm going home to talk to Paterabo and I was like I need him to do the thing does the thing he did do the thing I'm so excited yeah so actually because I remember you having a Twitter conversation with Graham McNeil about what is he going to talk to Perturbo about? And he was like, oh, yeah, huh, I wonder what he does talk to him about. So I read this book and I was like, what the fuck is she talking about? He talks to Perturbo. It's right here. Now that I know that Amazing. that wasn't in the original. There we go. Oh, no. Oh, no. Now I'm going to have like whole other questions. We're probably going to have to do like a um, Patreon episode about that because... Uh, there's not that much to it. There's so much for me to analyze and overthink. Okay. I'm so excited. Um, I feel like a really bad fan now, though. Like, a really bad fan. Well, honestly, I mean, like, if I didn't have this copy, I, if I had just read, like, out of my Hanso Chronicles book, I wouldn't have known any of that. There's also a foreword that has me very excited. Oh, the foreword is very good. I did read that. Gosh dang it. Yep. All right. That's going to be my next thing. Because it all talks about how he, uh, you know, really wanted to write the sequel to this. But then he said things happened. And uh, basically he said that the Games Workshop decided to turn everything on its ear. So <laughs> kind of got right. put aside. But I don't know. Talking to old Pete. Maybe now that the despoiler... hell just had a revelation what but i can't say it because you haven't read it well like i care well i mean i'm actually wondering now this takes place after cadia so here's because there's something that happens in their game that they played Mm -hmm. i think this takes place after cadia I am fangirling out and like I'm trying to remain really like calm and chill here but I want everybody to know that I'm dying on the inside Perturbo has not been seen or heard from since he ascended to demonhood well apparently he decided to come down the mountain well because again Hanso ends that book by saying he's like I'm going home to talk to him like he's he's on a mission from God at that point um <laughs> yeah I'm dying. I'm absolutely dying. Please, please. Okay, we won't do a Patreon episode on it, but there will be like a fangirl post from me in the immediate future because now there may be a Patreon episode on it, especially if you dig really deep into it and you find all these things to talk about. Might happen. Hmm. I'm so excited, and now I'm like really freaking out, which is probably a good time to mention that funny story about the limited edition. First off, mine does have a signature thanking me for loving the book so much. And you're so welcome, Mr. McNeil. Um, Carrie, lucky bitch, got the fourth of the fourth legion. She got the fourth copy of the book. 
But, funny enough, I got the seventh. So Carrie got the Iron Warriors and I got the Imperial Fists. We probably should trade. <laughs> I want everyone to know, though, right now, that we also have a giveaway to do. But I waffled long and hard on which version to keep. I really did, because the copy that we have is the 303. Now, if you know anything about Colorado, you will know why it is so hard for me to get rid of the 303. <laughs> We're going to get rid of the 303. We have unopened Storm of Iron copy as a giveaway. We'll have to put details. U.S. only. On Twitter. Sorry, people. U.S. only. Yes. Sorry, guys. It's just too expensive to ship it anywhere else. Not to mention, like, right now with the USPS being the way that it is, like, if we ship it tomorrow, you'll get it probably in time for Christmas. If you're not in the U.S. Possibly. Yeah. Especially if you're in England. Prepare for, like, weeks. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. But that is what we have. So we'll look for, uh, be sure to follow us on Twitter to look for rules and what we're going to do. We'll pick something from this podcast, though, to pick something from hmm. this to have people. We'll have to think on that one. But we do have that, and I'm really excited. Uh, unfortunately, we do not have physical copies of our next book that we're reading. We're going to continue on our Wayback Machine and read the next Carcaridans book by Robbie McNiven, Outer Dark really excited for that one sharks versus bugs <laughs> i hate the tyranids i kind of delightful about it because the carcaridons like have so little humanity to them and they're pretty much just they're pretty much they're killers. shark people they're shark people and it was fun to see them you remember that scene against. in moana where uh maui can't control his power and he's got a shark head that's kind of how i'm imagining seen moana oh i'm surprised i know really I surprised to i want you would to see love it, it. yeah i'm sure i would but everybody in my family refuses to watch it with me uh so watch it by yourself that's what i have to do half the time i mean did anybody else in this house want to watch frozen 2 no i watched it on my own because no. fuck them I didn't want to watch Frozen 2 either, so. Oh, I don't, fuck, I don't care. I wanted to see it, and I loved well, you it. You have then. I loved it. It was great, and I did the same with Moana on my trip to Japan. I watched that on the way over there, then I came back. I was like, you motherfuckers are all watching Moana. They hated it and left the room. Didn't care. I was still having the time of my life. Having lived in Hawaii, and, like, I really, I really like it, because I really like the whole story about Maui in general, um, Hawaiian Superman. Man, you know. Thank you, Israel Kamakawa. Because, like, what they even talked about on, a, on their on a snorkeling cruise, when they pointed out certain areas that are actually in the movie, that was so cool right. to me. I thought it was cool to you, too. Oh. It's on my list. All I know is that the chicken's voiced by Alan Tudyk and hilarious because. It know, is chicken. hilarious. Yeah. So and after I now. Get, it's on the list to watch and now after going to hawaii and seeing all the chickens it just makes it 10 times funnier i need this in my life um i will try to carve out time to like i have a list of stuff where i'm like oh i never saw coco either and everybody's like you would love coco you would love coco uh, i didn't watch the whole thing uh, my kids liked it but i think it was a little too much for the younger one 
Right. But, yeah, I mean, I can't, and skeletons. I can't wait for these people in my house to watch movies that, that I want to watch. So, I watch stuff on my own all the time. And you live with animals that we call children. I mean, sometimes you can make them watch stuff, but then we all have to agree. Life's really hard. No, you can't. We're reading Outer Dark next. You can't make people make them watch it because you know what my kids do if I put something on TV they don't want to watch like what because right now the Olympics are ruling my house they get their iPads and headphones on that's not allowed <laughs> see they uh, uh, well see that listen to them bitch and quite honestly that's fine I'll let them okay. sit there with their iPads and headphones and because I just think it's like you guys would never have survived back in my day when my dad had control of the TV when he got home and that's just how it was really allowed to watch tv and there's only one tv in the house there was only one tv in the house well there was also anyways <laughs> we're reading outer dark next time i'm really excited we are for reading it. Outer um, dark. we are reading outer dark it should be good i'm excited to see sharks versus nids even though i'm kind of over the tyranids i have hope for this one i really did like red tithe so i'm really liked red tithe and apparently this one is supposed to be even better so Sweet. We can get caught up on that, and then hopefully a third one will come out. Um, immediately after this podcast, after we do our AMA, I'm, I'm going to read the rest of um, the stories in this, and then I'm going to just lose my mind. You're going to be getting like all caps texts from me, uh, and then be sure to watch our Twitter to see how you can get unopened 303. If you're not from Colorado, that's probably not nearly as cool. Um, the copy. So be sure to pay attention. And that's what we got. You want to take that us is, out, Carrie? That is, that is what we got. All right. So thank you all so much. You've listened to the Warhammer 40K Book Club episode regarding Storm of Iron by Graham McNeil. Be sure to join us for our next book, uh, Kerkeridon's Outer Dark by Robbie Mack. We are an unofficial book club, not affiliated with the Black Library or any of its affiliates. You can find both the vidcast and podcast on our website, wh40kbookclub.com. If you like this episode, please like, subscribe, give a review, and all those things to the vidcast on YouTube or the podcasts anywhere you get podcasts. Don't forget, we also have a Patreon where we offer two different tiers of content for your viewing and listening pleasure. You can learn more about that at patreon.com slash wh40kbookclub. Also, our Twitter, in case you do not follow us there, is very simple. It is wh40kbookclub. Awesome. Our site also has articles about our adventures in reading other Warhammer 40k books and short stories outside of the book club books, so please stay a while and read from a crag. Um, hold on. I'm off right. Race. Right. Yep. Get you some ceramite. That's so boring. But that's so it's Iron Warriors. New, it's the new chartreuse, you guys. Oh all I got. All right. Good night, everybody.
episode of the Warhammer 40k book club is hosted by Jen Bozier and me. Recording and editing of both the vidcast and podcast were done by me. The book club questions and discussion format were done by Jen, and all of our music is by Jingle Punks. The Warhammer 40k book club is a Warhammer LLC production. This is a Voxcast that even he, Cato Sicarius, would approve.